Hello and welcome to the 14th episode of Pink Count, the podcast where we go deep into the tech. We're not your normal tech news podcast. We'll dig into the APIs, look at the tech specs and sweat the details. We're not journalists, we're developers and computer scientists. I'm Ian Wallace and I'm here with my co-host Douglas Shearer. Hi Ian. Um, so it looks like this week we've got a little bit of uh, sort of news with slightly deeper topics and then we've got a topic later on that's maybe a bit bigger partly to amuse ourselves with. The real news is, are you using the correct microphone? I am using the correct microphone this week, yeah. Good, good, good. Let's whistle through this news. There's some interesting stuff here. Do you want to start off? I think you added this one in. Yeah, so the first thing I added was, this is kind of follow-up on what we talked about last time, which was about uh, TDPs of CPUs. We were talking about AMD Ryzen versus uh, current Intel desktop chips. And the day after we uh, recorded... Jeff Atwood posted an article about Intel TDPs and how, like, I was saying they're kind of a lie, and he's saying they're kind of a lie as well, but they're a lie in the annoying way where you have one CPU and you know it to have certain performance characteristics in terms of temperature, and you put in another CPU, should be the same because Intel's numbers are the, same, but are the same, but then it behaves differently. His example was putting a six core server in a six core chip in a server as opposed to a four core chip, and then finding that the heat sinking wasn't enough to let it run it to its full potential. It was a bit of an odd article because to me it seemed obvious, but maybe that's because I've spent some of my time measuring the power consumption of various chips. Um, related to this, I've put in a link to the latest issue of the Nantech podcast, which, if you've not listened, by the way, is great. They go way, way deep on detail, far more than we do on their sort of specialist topics. But anyway, they mentioned uh, power consumption numbers for the new KB Lake 90-watt TDP i5, and their point is it's only 63 watts from yeah. their measurements, yeah. whereas the 90-watt i7 actually is 90 watts. So I guess it's the thing where you can always rely on it Intel's number as being an upper bound, but if you've got any specific setup, don't expect two CPUs to behave the same in it. This is why... Um, server vendors and enterprise vendors spend a lot of time sort of certifying CPUs and that sort of thing. They're making sure it's all good, no matter what numbers anyone gives out. Yeah, if you want to get a little geeky, I mean, it's, it's kind of obvious. I mean, power consumption goes up linearly with the clock speed for a given voltage, and it goes up with the square of the voltage that you're running at. Yep. Um, modern CPUs um, dynamically alter their frequency and their voltage, so that's um, quite a hard thing to tell. But as a rough guide, you can, you know, slam your CPU with some benchmark and then look at the look at the voltage and the clock speed and then that will give you some point to compare off um even among different examples uh, different physical cpus of exactly the same model they will hit different voltages for their maximum clock speed yeah yeah this is this is part of intel or any cpu manufacturers binning for sort of higher end parts yeah so then I guess related to CPUs, um, you wanted to talk a bit about the 10 nanometer news that's coming out. I dropped in a nice uh, IEEE link here because it covers um, Intel, Samsung and Global Foundries. Yeah, so Intel have said that their next um, step, they abandoned their TikTok, TikTok, and it became TikTok, talk, TikTok, talk. I think I've got that the right way around. I think it's TikTok, talk, talk, tick. Okay. Yeah. Okay, whatever it is now, they're now going to do like two of one type of. Um, optimization was unheard of previously and they've done that and they're now saying they're going to do a third one they're going to stick at 10 nanometer for the canon lake chips that are upcoming for three they're at 14 the 14 nanometer yeah um, they're sticking at um <laughs> i think it's 14 nanometer and they're sticking in that one's called coffee lake and then it's canon lake is the 10 nanometer yeah and then they're going to have a 10 nanometer plus 10 nanometer plus plus and then seven nanometer yeah um 
how does this compare to everyone else? Samsung are also promising 10 nanometer chips this year. Hello. Um, as this IEEE article mentions, all 10, nan- 10 nanometer processes are not equal. Um, Intel are widely seen as being ahead. Uh, and global foundries are planning on going straight to 7 nanometer but in 2018. So this is, I mean, I, I suppose this isn't actually much different for Intel. I mean, they already said they were going to split the split their product lines into different sort of micro-architectures, um, like Canon Lake and Coffee Lake are both successors to KB Lake, just on different sizes of CPUs. I think Canon Lake's just 5 to 10 watt CPUs, and Coffee Lake is everything above. And then, uh, what's this you got about uh, game consoles? So there was, um, there was a Reddit post where someone posted a picture from Nintendo's Switch launch event and there was cables coming at the top of some of the consoles and they were like, oh, we've seen this before, you know, it's probably, a, there's a development box or a PC inside a cabinet running the console and someone pointed out that, yeah, that's correct, they might not have enough of them, but um, there was a specific commenter posted a link to previous Nintendo development devices, um, which in this case are... It looks like a Nintendo DS has a cable coming out the back of it, and then it's some sort of um, like custom PC in a case, or it appears to be a custom PC. It could be custom like actual hardware, the same as the DS uses. Runs, I don't know what CPUs they run, um, but it seems that this is that's what their development kits look like. And this was almost certainly someone seen a development kit in the wild. The Reddit thread does go on to people talk about other different development kits for like the PlayStation Portable and the, um, the sort of bigger sort of under TV consoles. And then a uh, bit of a change that you got something in here about um, SIMD. So we've talked about SIMD a few times in the past um, and this is uh, basically sl- m- like more complex instructions than your standard x86 instruction and um, they're combining multiple together multiple operations together in a single instruction and this is a guy called uh, Daniel Lemayer probably heard of that, um, from the University of Quebec. And he goes through taking an example of a um, simple function in C and then over time he adds more SIMD instructions to it and talks through the instructions themselves and the speed up he gets from that. I mean, his example is sort of a, a trivial to- toy example of taking spaces out of a string, um, but it's a good walkthrough on how someone might go about doing it. Um, as a he sort of results, he goes from 5.5 CPU cycles per byte processed, um, all the way down to 0.08 cycles per byte processed. By the time he uses, oh, that's that's a mem copy. Oh, he's, sorry, his, his actual fastest is 0.39, 0. 0. but it's just yeah. he's just comparing it to a straight mem copy because it's yeah. of the same order. So that's a considerable speed up, more than ten times. Yeah, that's pretty. It's pretty interesting actually to see the details of how you do that. It's nasty code though, using all those. Um, Intrinsics. Yeah, the co- the code is not very nice. I guess this is why a lot of people do it using um, sort of pre-processing of their code. Um, it may make it a little bit nicer. Um, there's a lot of this stuff on the internals of the X264 uh, libraries, and yeah, it's not very pretty. And to be honest, it's it's hard to read a lot of the time. Okay, and then now you've got some something because they're using Xeon Phi's. Is that why this is in here? Yeah. So there's a common. Um, I don't want to say trope, but a common test people do where they take um, there's a, there's a database of available taxi journeys. Uh, I think it's in New York City. I can't see it in the article right now. Um, and then they they put they load them into a database and then they run queries against it. You see it done for Hadoop and Postgres and MySQL and um, all, all that sort of thing. But this is someone running it 
on Xeon uh, four Xeon Phi CPUs like plugged into a like a development box, a, a, a workstation. Um, and again, this is a post with the guy or the author goes into great detail about the tools he's using. He's using KDB plus slash Q, which is a terrible name. Um, and yeah, the, the, the results almost seem silly. The results are at the end, but he's getting like, he's running queries in single seconds. And it seems like a lot of setup to get queries in a single second because they don't seem like the kind of queries you would run all the time. But the memory architecture stuff is really interesting. You can configure the different memory architectures for the CPUs. Yeah, it's, it does seem quite it does seem quite low level. This doesn't seem like something for everybody, but again, it's an interesting read. Um, well, you're t- you're telling me uh, crazy memory mappings across a set of Z and Phi's aren't something for everybody? Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, the the thing about the, the the speed these queries run running is really impressive. But after you've run a few queries, it's quite likely you'd want to load different data, and so it actually just comes down to loading the data is going to take way longer than running any of these queries. Is going yeah, to take. I mean the thing he's getting at is this is letting him use the four hundred gigabyte a second rather than ninety for the DDR four, so it's crazy fast memory. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, this next link's in from you as well. Something about a twenty-four-year-old running computer. Yeah, so there's a um, a CPU Shack Museum uh, a web post, blog post from the end of January, and they were talking about a um, a computer, a basically a computer that's been running for twenty-four years. This is a CPU Shack Museum blog post from the end of January, where they're talking about a computer at a PC or a computer. Oh, they're talking about a computer at a parts manufacturer in Michigan that's been running without any unscheduled unscheduled outages in 24 years. Um, they go into a little bit about the architecture of the machine. It uses a Intel i860XR chip, which is 33 megahertz. It's a RISC chip. Hmm. It could be upgraded to Windows XP, though. I don't think that's what it's saying. <laughs> or is it? I don't know. <laughs> There's an image like near the bottom of the page of the chip itself, and underneath it says it could be upgraded to XP. I think it's to an XP. <laughs> ah, not Windows XP. <laughs> no, an XP. I did 40... think that was a bit odd. It's a blazing 48 megahertz version of the same uh, chip. That, yeah. that one is 33 megahertz. Okay. Oh, maybe they're That's due... pretty cool. Maybe I they're... assume it's because it's um, everything on this is hot swappable, I'm guessing. Yeah. So maybe they're due the big upgrade. This is uh, It was available in early 1991. It is a Stratus. Um, and cost from 145000 to over $1 million in 1991. So I think they've got their value for money out of it now. Depends what it's doing. <laughs> yeah, I probably don't want to see their um, electricity bill. Okay, so I guess the next article in here is uh, one I dumped in. Um, it's the, everyone's probably seen the news by now. It's, um, it's about um, Apple reportedly developing an ARM chip. Yeah. The headline is in test of Intel independence because the idea is they're going to have an ARM chip doing a bit more than the, in the, their Macs. The, for anyone that doesn't know, there's currently an ARM chip driving the Touch Bar and Secure Enclave in a Touch Bar um, MacBook Pro. Uh, and the latest ATP and the ATP sort of minus one that they uh, recorded to talk a bit about this. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you've listened to them yet, but. Um, John is basically arguing that is no way that they're doing this to do any of the computing stuff. It's not really, it's not really worth all the all the hassle of having you know two CPUs with access to the same I/O and the same drives and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of the original articles were saying this was somehow Apple 
looking for a low power way to run things like power nap which is where your your machine can update things while it's sleeping like at night you can make sure your email's up to date and it does seem that almost seems like a silly use of like two cpus like to have one that's just for doing that but my thought is i've got okay i have three thoughts here the first one is what if everyone's got the argument the wrong way around right what if the machine is you so you're basically asymmetric multiprocessing but what if it's running on ARM most of the time? Because for 95% of what everybody does, i.e. web browsing, Facebook, a bit of music, the ARM chip is fine and you know can, can be much lower power. And then you only fire up the big hot Intel chip for the heavy lifting. Yeah. Well, if it's that way around. You and know? The, in the same way you would fire up a GPU. Yeah. The, you know, and then the, yeah, you've still got all this context switching and all that sort of stuff, but it's not a million miles away from Big Little. Yep. And here they have this. I mean, yeah. Please write in and tell me how it is a million miles away in, in terms of instructions and so on. And you can't yeah. just dump the cache from one to another and so on. But, um, yeah. What well, if that's the case? It's just like. Yeah. Could you uh, could you could you put an Intel chip behind uh OpenCL API? Well, maybe not. Maybe not that. Even that, it could be some lower level integration. They control the whole stack, right? So right. From hardware to, you know, you could just have it in the kernel or something. But what if it's that way around? What if because that's actually the rare case. I was like, the rare case isn't the low power case for most people. The rare yeah. case is the high power case. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting thought. The other thing I thought about was why would you want to put an SOC in a Mac? Um, because you want LTE, and yeah. you've got all the LTE baseband stuff, blah blah blah, and then it could just effectively be over a network interface. To the yeah. Mac. Yeah, I mean, they've got they've already got in the new MacBook Pros. They've got the Touch Bar, and it's controlled by an ARM chip, and it also deals with the secure enclave for the fingerprint sensor touch id i think they call it and i think it does the keyboard and a few other things so maybe they're just like expanding the sort of responsibilities of that into other other areas yeah so what but then why not use that to get an lte mac right the yeah. mac that's always connected to the internet so that was another idea and the final answer i thought is um deep as a well deep learning but i don't actually mean the learning part i mean inference um a neural network inference coprocessor yep because they've got so by inference i mean um you've already trained your deep learning model and then you want to you know it's been trained to detect lovely photos of mountains or whatever and then you you're just applying that you're just processing images and data with it because they're putting presumably all of their deep learning work is being piled into ios and arm and all the you know they are they have dedicated hardware or at the very least dedicated instructions to speak to the gpu hardware on arm yeah to do inference on ios so if you're apple and you're thinking yeah deep learning is a thing it's how we make our computers understand the world and we want our macs to do that too how do you get high performance do you just leverage all the arm stuff you've got already i mean you've already got an arm chip sitting there right yep so maybe it'll be a deep learning coprocessor for mm. inference you know low power this is one of these sort of rumors that comes out of Apple. There's just like so many what ifs, and you know everyone goes a bit wild with the speculation. It seems to have died down now, so I, I guess we'll maybe see, or maybe we'll never see. I demand wilder speculation. I've not seen anyone <laughs> speculating that it could be a deep learning inference coprocessor, or it's the other way around, or yeah. it could be for an LTE SOC. Yeah, well, you've just covered that, so covered good. it. Yeah, I can link to this in the future if I'm right. Okay. <laughs> So, so, so the next thing we have is you put something in about Sony's faster sensors. Yeah, so this is, again, kind of related because Apple used Sony sensors for their cameras in iOS devices. Um, and 
again, this is where I think the mainstream media have got, I say mainstream, mainstream tech media have kind of got the wrong end of the stake here. Um, so have you, have you seen this at all? It's like it's this sensor they've made of super fast readout. So the thing that everyone's been showing off is the super slow motion. Yep. Um, so like there's a video in this linked link I put in here where they, they can record it up to 960 frames a second. So then they can slow that down to, you know, 30 frames a second and you get some super nice slow-mo. Um, there's a horse prancing around there. It's quite fun. But <laughs> that's not the main reason. That's not why they did this. Sony did this because... Do you know what I mean by rolling shutter? Yes. Yeah, okay. So rolling shutter, if anyone's not familiar with it, if you've seen photos of uh, airplane propellers or fast-moving things or maybe you've taken a photo of a car and you notice that uh, vertical lines aren't vertical, they're at an angle because of the direction you're travelling in. Or you get the curvy propeller blades. Now, yeah. what you're seeing there is the the sensor. There's no shutter in front. You know, it's a tiny, tiny wee sensor in a phone. So you have no physical shutter that covers the the sensor. What you do is you just read quickly at the sensor, and it reads out a line at a time. So the problem then is, obviously, if you've got motion in your frame, uh, the frame has changed by the time you read out the bottom. So vertical lines moving quickly horizontally become diagonal. Yeah, and there's a nice picture of a model train in this. Uh, yeah linked article and Sony and that's the big deal here They're, because they can read out from the sensor so quickly they can effectively freeze motion much better and uh, they even so this is yeah they can read out much quicker and then get a nice vertical uh, vertical lines when yeah. you're moving so, so so it's not about the frame rate per as such it's about the latency on reading each individual frame yes yeah. precisely precisely um, so that's quite nice and then because we like the details here the, the the observant amongst you, which I imagine is no one, you'll be thinking, ah, oh, but that will saturate the LSI bus that most sensors are connected with. You can't read out any faster because that's the limit. And that's the coming thing they've done here. They've stacked some DRAM on the sensor yep. so that they can uh, basically read out super fast because they've got this little buffer that can take the frame and then pull it off the sensor at the rate that the bus the bus can handle. Yeah, yeah. That, I so, mean, that, that makes sense. Well, you were saying the first part of the conversation about... Um, uh, reading reading the sensor line by line, like the the bit in my head was thinking, well, why could you not read it like really fast and stick it in some a cache and then have like you know like separate the two halves, separate the actual picture taken half from. That. How do you put the cache in the sensor? Where do you put it? And then uh, basically, you do some crazy crazy uh, chip building stuff that Sony have done. You can jam it right on there. So this is a twenty one megapixel sensor they're making here. Yeah. Um, and combined with its ISP, they're doing yeah four K at sixty frames a second. Uh, 720p at 240 frames a second, and so on. Mm, yeah, it's, this is really impressive. This yeah, this article is it's Sony's own article. It's got great diagrams of how the the sensor structured. So they're obviously quite um, confident that they're the only people that have got this tech, or the only people that they think they can make it. There's a, there's a reason Apple use Sony sensors, but basically what this means is you, your future iPhone or smartphone or whatever is it's going to have better camera but in a, in a non-obvious way it's not more megapixels it's a better photo you know it's going to freeze motion better um so that's quite cool i thought yeah that is that is really interesting um okay oh we had some out of order um and not in the way you might be thinking of cpu news here i'm not talking about <laughs> incredibly bad joke yeah incredibly bad joke <laughs> if you get that joke please write in and tell us i'll be so happy um Wrong on the internet at Pink Count Podcast. Uh, this is um, more new. I mean, I can't believe this is like two months later and I'm saying the same thing. There's some new Intel KB Lake chips coming out. Yeah, but that's just they're just um, spiking AMD's guns, I think. Yeah, so it's basically they're two they're high-end i5 
a CPU and their high-end... silly end Xeon. Yeah, high-end i7. Wait, oh, I forgot about the Xeon. Oh, we'll get to yeah, that in a second. $9,000 Xeon, yeah. 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 Right, we'll get to that in a second. So the, K- the KB Lake um, i5 and i7 are basically just a clock bump on their previous top end. So the um, i7 goes from 4 gigahertz base to 4.2. The i5 goes from 3.8 to 4. But the i5 also gets uh, hyper-threading. Yeah. So it's the first time there's been a unlocked i5 with hyper-threading. So it's got four cores, eight threads. Um, so that's going to be an interesting chip because it, apart from the cache, it almost it's called the i5-7640K. It stacks up almost the same, or it stacks up the same as the i7-7700K, except it's got 6 mega cache rather than 8 mega cache. And then they've got a new top-end 24-core E7 Xeon, so that's the your 8-series Xeons that you can have 8 or more if you want in a single server. Um, it's $9,000. It's just it's just ridiculous, basically, but that's for your, your huge servers. Um, I think basically they've just released these so that AMD, no matter what AMD push push out, they're not going to be the fastest chips, you know, at yeah. stock speeds. Yeah, there was. Uh, um, I haven't put it in. I could put it in the show notes. There was uh, AMD Ryzen pricing pricing and models leaked. I mean, apart from them, the terrible model names, people have already got comparisons to what Intel chips they're similar to. It's not pricing until it's actually in the shops and it's the price. Yeah, well. someone someone did some quite elegant maths on working out the actual sort of shop price based on markups in various different countries and such like uh, back back to kind of the apple related stuff i am apple are uh, publicly wanting to put general purpose gpu programming uh, in the web browser yeah so it sounds like all kinds of fun this was reported by the webkit project themselves the title was next generation 3d graphics on the web which is a bit um i don't want to say underhanded they weren't being sort of like mean about it um they were machiavellian about it they're proposing a new API for web browsers to let web browsers using JavaScript access um, 3D graphics capabilities and also um, low-level general-purpose computation uh, capabilities available in GPUs. Um, so this is a, a few people sort of cried foul and said, oh, what about um, Vulkan, which is the next version of OpenGL, where lots of the major vendors have already said, browser vendors have said they'll support that. Well, Apple are just looking for something that's a lot higher level and means anything can be plugged in below, whether it's Vulkan itself, uh, DirectX, or um, Apple's own Metal. I think it's interesting because it allows, again, getting back to the whole um, applying deep learning and so on, you can potentially run inference in a web browser at yeah. a reasonable speed. Yeah. Um, some people have done some fun stuff using JavaScript and shaders and stuff to do some... Uh, yeah, I mean, web, stuff, but. WebGL is a pretty amazing project. It's just, um, it, it's, I don't think it's general enough. It's, it's too, it doesn't give access to the sort of low-level primitives. Um, in this WebKit post, they've, they've even got code samples of the sort of JavaScript they would be imagining. Um, you, you know, you know, having a canvas, writing to it, having buffers, that sort of thing, and accessing maths functions that then run on the GPU. Yeah, and then I noticed someone in the reply to this tweet has said, if only they put a decent GPU in their machines, they do, just not in their Macs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing GPUs in their mobile devices. See what I was saying earlier about ARM co-processors. Yeah. Um, and then... Yeah, sorry. No, on you go. I was just going to say, a final, a final link here. Another hardware thing. It's um, it's a bit it's a bit random. It's about uh, Google fuzzing PCI Express buses, which I thought was quite fun. Yeah, so this um, this did the round. I saw it on Hacker News yesterday. Um, 
and fuzzing. I think we'll come back to fuzzing, the fuzzing, the topic of fuzzing in the future at some point. Um, but this looks like they are going to be offering. Yeah, they, they've said they were going to offer uh, up. Even they've they said they're going to offer GP one hundreds. Right. Yeah. So they're going to they're going to offer GPUs as part of their their, their Google Compute Engine engine project, and as part of doing that, they want to ensure that it's secure if they have multiple VMs running on the same physical machine. Um, so fuzzing the PCI interfaces is a way to make sure no one can escape their VM. That's because they've got switches to hook up the GPUs to different machines, basically. Yeah, well, I think even if you had like a like actual a physical box with the, you know a, a server with the GPUs in it, you'd still have the same issue. Yeah. So it's it's quite interesting. It's yeah worth worth a read. Yeah. So um, we've already been recording twenty five minutes, but we can we can cover off our to- our topic for tonight pretty quickly. I think maybe. <laughs> <laughs> This is going to be things that still suck in 2017. So yeah, basically, I was looking through the topic notes, thinking, "What are we going to do this?" And then I saw um, <laughs> this particular note, which then drew my attention. Which is this would be a bit out of order. Which was, um, where is it? The hole in Doug's office wall. The printer made. <laughs> yeah. So um, <laughs> and then uh, yeah. So the, the reason I thought this is a topic is I thought, I thought, okay, so Doug's going to rant a bit about how printers suck. I'm assuming, but I don't know. He might rant a bit about uh, poor quality plasterboard in his house. Who knows? Um, but then the other thing was uh, Apple's Pages, which we were using for the show notes. Just ate one of my edits. It's just collaborative document editing. Still doesn't work. And we switched off. Everyone's going to say Google Docs, but we switched off. Why did we switch off that? Because it, it also kept eating things. Oh, yeah, and it's rubbish on iOS. Yeah. You still haven't updated their apps. In, in fairness to Google Docs, I do use that a lot for work purposes and it's really good there but if you've got a lot of people in like a really tight space doing lots of editing it gets a bit awkward and the thing with the show notes is we both are in there like moving but by a lot of people let's be clear here you mean two yeah yeah (laughs) i think that's possibly the minimal possible number of people that could be collaboratively editing a document yeah that's that's the table stakes yeah and and yeah yeah, they all suck. Like yeah. this is the two big ones. And yeah, your printer. So why does your printer suck? Um, so I had a. I've got. A, it's at my feet here. I've got some sort of. Maybe it's a Lexmark. Listen, let me look. It's an Epson. Epson printer is one of the built-in scanner ones. I got it free with a MacBook Pro in about two thousand and seven. I only print print things maybe once or twice a month. And every time I would go to print something, it would um, say it needed a new ink cartridge of some sort. So, um, yeah, like this always made me quite angry to the point where one day after putting in three different ink cartridges, I threw it across the office and made a hole in the plasterboard <laughs> wall. The printer survived. Oh, no. I bought, I bought another one shortly after. I bought a laser. Why have you still got better. the old one? Because um, I might want to print colour. And, you know, I've still got an old one somewhere, uh, and, then, and then you'll and then you'll change three ink cartridges, throw it across the wall, and have another hole to deal with. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a, a good test for my anger levels at that point in time. What are you going to want to print colour? <laughs> I have no idea because it prints terrible colour. It's like stripes and all sort. Send yeah. it to four box and pay the postage. It'll yeah. Be fine. So um, the other thing, thinking of podcast stuff, is VoIP sucks in twenty seventeen. Yeah, no, no one's managed a good job of this. If one per, if you're on a, a per, especially a multi-person Skype call and someone's background is noisy, they're in a cafe or such like, like it just ruins the whole call. <laughs> I actually think the problem here is teleconference etiquette is still sucks. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, there's a bit of that. But I mean, even when they're speaking, like the, just the the bandwidth required because of the poor compression brought on by the noise in the background. Yes, yes, okay, yeah, it doesn't isolate it. Well. 
well. Yeah, it just blows up the whole call. Yeah. And that, that guy that's always on any telecon ever who has um, decided that he's going to answer the call on his laptop, but he's going to sit on the other side of the room. Yeah. Classic yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, if everyone could wear headphones and everyone could mute when they're not explicitly speaking. Thank you. Be in a room with soft stuff, not like a toilet cubicle or a metal <laughs> cell or whatever. <laughs> like a submarine, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, what else I put in here? I put in batteries because that's what a lot of people moan about in 2017. But I don't think batteries do suck. I think batteries are amazing in 2017. Yeah, I think batteries have sort of had a ramp of slow development, but it's slow and steady development. They are getting better all the time. It's just slowly. But I just think like I think battery in the phone is a classic, but I think of all the crazy things my phone does. And it's, it's so amazing right? Yeah. how powerful it is and how capable it is compared to even five years ago, yeah. ten years ago. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 I've not done a size comparison of the sort of batteries in our smartphones to the batteries we had in our, like, our Nokia 3310 back in 2001, 2002. But I wonder how long the Nokia would last on the the battery of a current iPhone. Nearly 10 years ago, 12 years ago, February 8th, 2005. That was the launch of Google Maps. <laughs> I mean, and yet think what a phone does now. Yeah. It's crazy. Um yeah, so what else have I got on this list? PC oh. laptops. Yeah. I mean, have you ever tried have you tried to buy... I mean, I guess you don't buy many laptops. Um, no, I buy one little laptop every three years or something. All right, so I probably, I probably have to buy them quite a lot more often then because I like, expect them for work and stuff. Um, and we use Linux machines, so I'm buying PC laptops. Yeah. Um, and, okay, I could also add Mac laptops, so we'll come to that as <laughs> the next thing. <laughs> um laptops suck i know i've previously argued that we've reached peak laptop but um not peak specific laptop i want um it's just hard to buy high quality pc laptops yeah ones that are made of nice things and are well made yeah i mean there's a few there's a few attempts at like the hp envy some of which are just a straight rip off of max and then there's the the laptops from razor and who's the other um alien wear make some nice ones but they're always they're a bit plastic they're all a bit plastic and yeah, I'd like to try a razor. That's that's a good a good call. I was waiting for you to say the Microsoft Surface Book or the Microsoft Things because they are quite nice hardware wise. But just if anyone's got one and that's what they're thinking, just tell me how you're getting on with your GPU drivers, right? Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, again, again, there's also the thing here, like for you and me, we want sort of high end CPUs and GPUs for the things we do. Yeah, yeah, so this brings me on to why the Mac suck in 2017, because I can't get 64 gigs of RAM in a laptop with a decent GPU. Yeah. I mean, I want teraflops. Come yeah. on. How hard can it be? Um, <laughs> you made me put AMD on this list. Yeah, that was just me. Oh, to be fair, you were looking at servers the other day, and what was it? The- oh, the Opteron hasn't been updated for four years. Yeah, come on, guys. Yeah, like, and Sorry. I don't know if they're going to ha- even have a new one with their new, whatever the architecture that Ryzen's based on. Um there seems to be no talk about that at all. So I think they've maybe just given up on the server space altogether. It used to be the case you could get many, many more cores than an AMD machine, which is good for things like video encoding. Then you could do an Intel machine for a comparable price. Um, I remember it was a huge thing when Dell started doing machines with AMD CPUs in them, both you know laptops, desktops, and servers. Now they just don't yeah. seem to do any at all. So I think AMD... Ryzen is a push, I think, for the enthusiast sort of gaming market, but I don't think I don't see them doing that well in the sort of bigger PC market where it's like unless unless we've mentioned before, there's the potential that they're going to start offering uh, very many PCIe lanes. 
on their chips. So the the current the all the launch Ryzen's only have twenty eight PCIe lanes. Okay, so none of the forty lane plus stuff. No, so I think they 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 are going straight out for sort of competing with it. They're sort of consumer i sevens. They're not competing with this extreme edition ones. They might have eight cores, but they, they they're still on twenty eight PCIe. Okay, lanes. we're getting dangerously serious about Intel. It is quite a light hearted topic. <laughs> <laughs> the next thing is in general stuff from the past that's inexplicably not dead. And uh, the reason I thought of this was there was this article has been going around a bit. It's a medium article, I think. Um, we'll put the link in the show notes. And it's, uh, it's you, you see these surveys occasionally where they they do um, people do surveys on what are the most used languages or the most um, languages asked, people are asking questions on Stack Overflow or whatever. And this person has uh, plotted it. This isn't the article I was thinking of because the article I was thinking of um, the top language at the weekend was Haskell. Yeah, I, I was more interested in the, the top um, the top uh, work. No, I found yeah, it. I need found to find it. link. It's stick link in. Stack Overflow the weekend. Yeah. So. Because the the top the top language during the week was um, SharePoint, or yeah. top topic. And this yeah, that's stuff in the past that's inexplicably not dead. Yeah, so t- top weekday languages, the top five was SharePoint, TSQL. I'm not even sure where that is. PowerShell, SOAP, and VBA. The poor people who are on Stack Overflow asking about SOAP. It's like it's 1997. <laughs> probably going, what is this? <laughs> Yeah, probably. That's. I mean, that is the thing. This is a. This is people asking questions about these things. So it's not necessarily which are the most used languages during the week. It's just which are people asking the most questions about. Yeah. Which in it when which inexplicably complex languages do people ask questions about during the week? And then the weekend top five was Haskell, Assembly, Haskell. OpenGL, pointers, and algorithm. I mean, I guess pointers and algorithms are subjects rather than programming languages, but. I think Haskell at the top though that's interesting. Can I just um, point out in the hipster style that um, yeah I was, I'm, I'm over Haskell. I mean I was last doing any sort of Haskell in 2005 and actually I wasn't using Haskell. I was using this little language you've probably never heard of that's got its uh, compiler written in Haskell. Yeah, I think you mentioned that on the podcast before. <laughs> this is a pretty hipster situation <laughs> there. The obscure language you've probably never heard of it. Haskell, yeah, use that for the compiler. But, uh, yeah, the Haskell of the weekend is quite interesting. Interesting. I'd be interested to know what that thing said about questions versus actual usage. If it's that it is people looking into it just for fun. I mean, it's an interesting thing to look at. I mean, yeah. I'll point out I did weekday Haskell. Okay. Yeah. Did you get paid for it? Uh, I did. Yeah. Even better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the last one I put on, which uh, might be slightly contentious, is Python three. Well, looking at that, there's a scatter chart for the greatest differences between the weekend and the weekday differences, and quite high on this list, maybe yeah. in the top ten, is Python three. At the weekend or the weekday? Uh, so, like, uh, the, if this is the multiplier between the weekday and the weekend, there's more Python three questions at the weekend. It's one of the biggest uh, growth questions. Do you know why that is? It's because people are still at work on the weekend trying to work out why on earth their <laughs> Python isn't working in Python 3 because they've got some stupid string thing going wrong. So so Python 3 brought... Uh, the things that jumped out at me were... Um, Proper Unicode string support. That's what so yeah, breaks everything. So they, they brought all their, yeah, their, their different string types together. And then also print support, or change the print support. Yeah, again, see breaking strings. That's just generally how I file it all in my brain. Anything to do with a string anywhere is just broken. Okay. And I know, well, I don't know a lot you're going to write in, but maybe you will and point out that you can use um, 
if you use your code correctly, you can write code that's valid Python 3 and Python 2 and works with strings. And indeed that is possible, but it uh, doesn't mean all your code is like that already. Yeah. Anyway, um, I know there are valid arguments for Python. Actually, no, I don't know any. <laughs> the best arguments, if you Google Python 3 versus Python 2, you just get hilarious results. Yeah. So, um, I have not found any convincing reasons I should use Python 3 apart from it breaks all my stuff. I think it's just the case you've got to choose one or the other and you've got to check that all the libraries you're using are compatible. That's, and then yeah. you use Python 2. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. anyway, I think that'll do for tonight. That's quite a light topic to finish in. Okay, so uh, thanks for listening to Pincount. Show notes are online at pincountpodcast.com. You can find me on Twitter at Douglas F. Shearer and Ian at the underscore accidental. You can follow the show on Twitter at, at pincountpodcast. We'd love to get your feedback. Tweet us or use the hashtag AskPincount or leave us a review on iTunes for longer feedback or if you can't explain how wrong we are without reference to the API documentation and CAD drawings, email wrongontheinternet at pincountpodcast.com. So I changed the final thing there, but you still got it right. Put in the You've munched this whole thing. <laughs> this is... Call to action. So hashtag brand. Yeah, it's like, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm at the hard. Yeah, it's horrible, right? Um, <laughs> hashtag brand. Yeah. Hashtag brand. Brand. Yeah.